and welcome once again to A Novel Evening. As ever, I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as at A Novel Evening Podcast and the same over on TikTok. I'm not going to lie to you, at the point of recording, I'm freezing. Um, <laughs> it's only mid-October. The heating's on. I know that that is frivolous, but it's on. I'm now getting cosy. I've got candles, I've got blankets. I'm all about the coziness. And luckily, my author tonight with his novel, Mrs. Polanski's Revenge, is the ideal cosy story to cuddle up to. And it has been, it has been endorsed by none other than Stephen King. I mean, if Stephen's telling you it's good, it's gonna be good. I am joined by Spencer Quinn, which is the pen name of Peter Abrams, and uh, who might be known for his previous series, Chet and Bernie. He's bringing out a whole new series. I cannot wait to chat to him all about Mrs. Plansky, where she came from, where he devised her, tell us all about her story and find out more about his novel evening. So a massive hello to Peter. Hello. Hi. Thanks How for having me. How are you doing? I'm good. And uh, so you are obviously all the way over in Cape Cod, very different to uh, me down on the Devon coast. How is Cape Cod's weather? How are you guys doing as, as autumn hits? Uh, it's been great. I had my uh, last ocean swim last week of the season and um, and uh, the water temp, I think, is about 63. So pretty cold for most people, but good for me. That's fresh. And I mean, we don't get it warm here by any stretch in our oceans ever. <laughs> so if we sea swim, it's a cold oceans, but I'm a bit of a wimp. I'm like a run in, get out kind of person, okay. swift. Well, we, I live very, there's a beach in our neighborhood. So nice. I, we're in all the time. <clears throat> oh, and do, do you find that kind of helps with writing and things? Do you find it's very good for kind of your brain power, your working? Okay. Yes, but that's not why I do it. Okay. I, I don't, I also do a lot of bike riding and ideas often come to me out of the blue, but that's not why I'm doing it. I'm just doing it for pleasure. That's just a good, it's a handy byproduct of what you're doing. Yes, but there's certainly something about swimming um, and also long showers. Yeah. So this is something, if, if I'm often asked, you know, what would be some writing advice and taking long showers. I think there's something amniotic. Of course, it's very environmentally wrong, probably, <laughs> to take long showers. But um, it's a time when ideas just flow. But without, you know, there's two kinds of ideas coming into your head. You're one, there's one where you're cudgeling your brain and trying to make things happen. Yeah. But on a superior level, we have the ideas that come out of the blue. And if you're in this what my grandmother called the writing game. If if that's what you do, then the blessing is those ideas that come out of the blue. I mean, that's, they're exciting and you didn't do anything to get them and yet there they are. That's the joy of it. And, and so whenever an idea comes out of the blue, even, okay, the idea for a whole book or just an idea for a line of dialogue or that this character should do something different, if it comes out of the blue, I'm I, I take it very seriously, even if it means destroying some of the writing I've already done yeah. or rerouting the whole rest of the book. If if there's something that comes out of the blue, then that's the magic and and that's what I should go with. And 
And to fall into line with that, I then just rely on my technique. And of course, I've written a lot of novels and I had a very good education in writing. I have a whole bag full of technique that I can rely on, but that's not the key. The key to at the fun of it and the key to whether I think you're actually going to do anything of any lasting value is if you if you have some connection with the blue. I love that. It's the organic ideas rather than ones you forced and pushed out of you, the ones that just come to you. Yes. Otherwise, the rest of it is much more like an ordinary job. Yeah, <laughs> that's understandable. That I can I can absolutely relate with. Now, first and foremost, listeners, tell us all about Mrs. Plansky's Revenge. Let's kick things off with what this story is about. Okay, Mrs. Plansky's Revenge. Um it's okay i've already mentioned the bike riding that's very interesting because um the 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 idea the whole book the idea for the whole book came to me when i was riding my bike we have wonderful bike paths here on cape cod with no car traffic and i do a lot of that um so this idea came to me but before i get to the idea coming to me i should give a little background I should have realized right away where it was coming from, but I didn't. So this goes back to my dad. My dad died in the spring of 2000. Right. Um, I'm sorry, in the spring of 2020, uh, two weeks from his 97th birthday. And he was very sharp mentally and physically right till the very last day. That's wow. important to this story. But a few years before he died, uh, the following event happened uh, that I learned about later not much later than it happened. He got a call one day and the voice on the other end said, hey, grandpa, it's me, your grandson. And my dad said, hi, Jake. And the voice on the other end said, yeah, it's me, Jake. And then proceeded to tell this whole story about being in trouble with the law, needing some money. Cut to my dad is putting on his jacket to go out and his wife says, Ed, where are you going? And he says, Jake's in trouble. I'm going to the bank to get send him some money. At which point it was decided that they would call Jake who turned out not to be Jake in quotes. Yep. And, and that was the end of that. So this story, when I heard it, I was amazed because my dad was so sharp. He was like, when I was a kid, I could get away with nothing with him. I mean, <laughs> Um, so, and all, and yet he was fooled so easily. Okay. But I seem to have forgotten that. So I'm on the bike path. Let's go back to the bike path. And all of a sudden the idea for Mrs. Plansky's revenge occurs to me. She's this 71 year old widow living in Florida. She and her husband built a tidy little business based on one good, great idea she had and a lot of hard work. They sold out, they retired to Florida to have their golden years as so many people here do. He got sick and died, but she lives on and she's in very good health. She's had a hip replacement, but she plays tennis. She's very active and she's the center of this family. I would say a needy family that relies. Mm -hmm. And one night she gets this call from a grand, you know, from her grandson, Will, in who's in college in Colorado, and he's been arrested on a DUI. And the car's been impounded and he needs almost $10,000. Well, Mrs. Plansky goes to the bank. She has that kind of money and she sends it to him. But 
during he, the instructions that Will has given her are very precise and she has followed them to the letter and they included giving her password at the bank. Because Mrs. Plansky, I'm sure unlike you and all of our listeners, because she, unlike you and all our listeners, Mrs. Plansky uses the same password for everything. Yep. I'm sure you <laughs> But there she finds out that because of that she's lost everything her retirement account everything it's all gone so she the fbi enters the case they tell her that um it's maybe the the perpetrators of this are in this romance small romanian town where a lot of that goes on they could perhaps identify them although the chances of that are very slim but the chances of her getting her money back are nil so Mrs. Plansky goes to Romania to get her money back. And even the name Plansky came to me on this bike ride. And that's when it, I made the connection. Why was it Plansky? Well, my dad went to college during World War II and the Navy put him through because they wanted officers very quickly. And he ended up commanding a sub chaser in the English Channel fighting the Nazis in 1944. Wow. So he went to this college, Williams College. It's in Massachusetts where I live. And I went to the same college. When my dad was there, he ran cross country on the cross country team. And the, the coach was a well-known figure in American sports um, after World War I. He was a star football player and multi-sport athlete, an Olympian. And he was the coach of the cross country team. And when I was at Williams, he was still the coach of the track team. Wow. But now, but by then there was a building named after him. And his name was Tony Plansky. That, so, and my dad had told me a lot of funny stories about Tony Plansky. And so I realized I, Mrs. Plansky had that name and it was the bridge back to where this story had really come from. Now, there's one thing before we go on, I should say this. Um, so I've been here in the United States, I, uh, I've i been on tour for Mrs. Plansky's Revenge. And at two readings, people stood up in the audience and said, hi, we are relatives of Tony Plansky, descendants of Tony Plansky. And we came to hear, well, how come your book is Mrs. Plansky's Revenge? They even brought at one of them, a recipe of chocolate chip cookies that had been the original Tony Plansky's wife, Mrs. Plansky, her recipe. Yeah. So that's one that's of the fun beautiful. things, funny things that can happen, a, a touching thing, actually, that can happen on a book tour. That's so interesting. I also love the kind of subconscious connection with your dad as well the kind of this yeah. this event that had kind of just gone in the back of your mind that suddenly sprung, like you say, sprung out of nowhere. Yeah, yes, a lot of times when people say, where did you get the idea? I have no good answer. Or I say it, you know, just came out of the blue. But that's, that's and, you know, and they look very disappointed because that they're looking for helpful information and that's not it. But this time I can really say where it came from subconsciously and then I can hook back to that. Yeah, I, I think that's so beautiful. And to, to hear the story of them bringing this recipe is just, it, oh, it's come it was, full circle, it's perfect. Uh, I, I mean, when it happened, I could, the first time I couldn't believe it. I, I mean, I had one of those microphones. I was on a stage, but with a, you know, a microphone, you can walk around. Yeah. I just went right into the audience and shook their hands and yeah. 
Oh, wow. Um, describe Mrs. Polanski for us. What is this lady like who goes over to Romania to reclaim her dignity and see if she can track these people down? Well, okay, she is very much a creature of her time. Mm -hmm. This is not, she's proper in a way. In fact, I, she, her name is Loretta. Her Christian name is Loretta, but um, in its third person narration, and mm -hmm. she's referred to by, as Mrs. Plansky throughout. Now, of right. course, in scenes where she's talking to people, they call her Loretta and, or mom or whatever it is. But she, and so I've been asked a number of times why I did that. And the reason is to put a little distance so that when you, you know, this is not someone who pours forth her soul, but she has a very big soul inside her. And so that if a little bit of wall is constructed around her soul, you don't get at that soul right away, but mm. then you begin to see it. It has all the more power, I think. And that's, yeah. and that's why. So uh, she's smart, she's, she, she's self-reliant, uh, she doesn't whine. Right. That's, yep. <laughs> okay. That's, um, and, and I she, think that is a very generational thing. I know even from like my, my grandparents and you don't complain, you get on. Yes. And she gets on, but it doesn't mean she's not a feeling person. Mm. She is a feeling person. And, and um, it's a, there's another, because it's a two, two point of view book it's all in the third person, but it's the third person close. So that's like you're on the shoulder of Mrs. Yeah. Plansky. But the other person you're on the shoulder of is Dinu, this ro young Romanian who's pretty good at speaking English. And they meet and the kind of revenge she ends up taking shows you what a basically very good person she is. I think that's but I don't want to give any more away. No, no spoilers. And, you know, we're going back to kind of how she's tricked and how she's full. We had a real spate in the UK of kind of these scam calls, very much targeting the older generation. My grandfather had Alzheimer's um, and he had a phone call that was kind of from the bank. Can you put in your pin? Can you type in your... Mm -hmm. And, you know, but even before this, my grandma was, again, very whip smart before he became unwell. Um, so even more sad that he was targeted when he was so vulnerable. Yeah. But what research did you do into these kind of scammers? Because it must be quite complex, this thing that they're running. Well, yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think it's a basic, um, they, you know, I mean, they have, first of all, they're sort of protected. Um, yeah. They're not in places where they're easy to get at. And and they, um well, one of the things, I, there's a, a Romanian town I read about that, um, just an ordinary old Romanian town, not very big, but it's full of luxury car dealerships. Like you're in Hollywood, right? It's just, I mean, that's so- but You first clue. <laughs> this, see, this, this crime is actually a terrible crime. See, a lot of crimes take advantage of bad things in us, like our greed or something like that. This- crime takes it's based on you know mrs plansky loves her grandson it's based yeah. on the best things in you they take advantage of what's good about you and that's what makes it especially cruel and and 
of more interest to me than other some other kinds of crimes yeah. because of that. because it has an emotional level it's not just about money at all and that's it's because of that emotional level that's why mrs plansky goes yeah and that's exactly as you say you know it is a crime that completely i think we've had a recent kind of text thing that's kind of hi mum i'm stuck these text messages mm. even more so because there's not a voice so you're just you know you get a text message yeah. i'm stuck and like you say it completely plays on your desire to help your desire to immediately protect someone and it's so cruel but I think the interesting is, is when you see these villages, it's interesting that you said, you know, design a car, you know, luxury car dealerships. Cause I'm imagining people who are impoverished pushed to do these things. And I'm like, Oh, but they've got luxury car dealerships. Suddenly it's even worse. Well, yes. I mean, there's a corruption, right. And, and yeah. there, I mean, there are plenty of rich people in poor countries. Yeah. You know, yeah. And- and in writing this book as well, you know, you had Chet and Bernie that was very successful that you'd written. How did it feel to jump into a whole new character and story? Well, it felt great. Um, see, okay, so, I mean, just to back up slightly on the Chet and Bernie mystery series, which um, kind of hijacked my whole career because prior <laughs> to them, prior to Chet and Bernie under Peter Abrahams, I'd written many crime fiction novels, right. all of them stand-ups. Uh, and standalones, quite dark, I would say, but there's humor in them, but darker. Books like right. Oblivion, End of Story, books like that. Um, the Chet and Bernie mystery series, I, what I did there was I just, I took the template, the ancient, not ancient, but the very old template of crime fiction where you have two, a, de- a detective and his sidekick and the sidekick tells the story in the first person and that goes back to Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson so in the Chet and Bernie series it's a private detective Bernie play is the detective that you know our Sherlock Holmes and Chet is the Dr. Watson the difference being that unlike unlike Dr. Watson Chet is a doc so but he's not, this is the key. I've said this till I'm blue in the face, but you have to read these before you see how it works. Chet is not a talking dog. Yep. He's as canine as I could make him. He has a narrate, he narrates, but if you know and love dogs, you know there's a narrative going on in their heads. That's what I try to get on the page. So when you take this other angle into the mystery story, you know, an angle where logic and logic is very important in mysteries, right? Because it's the plotting of a mystery novel is like solving a crime. You find these clues and you put them in a logical order. Well, Chet can't do that. And even if he could, you know, when an important clue was about to be revealed, he might, you know, s- sniff a Cheeto under a couch and he misses it. And, and so he actually d- turned into an unreliable narrator. Right. And so I married that unreliable narration to this traditional mystery and it kind of blew it up, the whole thing blew it up a little bit. And and I think that's why people responded. But my agent at the time said, well, you know, this is so different from all your Peter Abraham's yeah. work. I'm, I know we can sell this, but I'm worried that it won't find the market. How about a, a pen name? And I, I agreed kind of reluctantly, but I had only signed on to do two books. Well, the 14th 
just came out here in October up on the rooftop, which is a Christmas up on the rooftop. It's a Christmas uh, Chet and Bernie novel. So that's the 14th. So that's what I mean by yeah. Chet and Bernie, just, uh, you know, hijacked my life. Anyway, so in the middle of the, I'm still doing Chet and Bernie's. Yeah. I'm, um, this week I'll finish the one that comes up, that comes after up on the rooftop. Wow. It's called. <laughs> Every time you say it, I'm sorry. Every time you say up on the rooftop, I'm just like, Yes. Well, okay. I shouldn't take credit for the title because as the series went along, I began to get title suggestions from readers. Oh, cool. Oh, I have a whole file of them and up on the rooftop is a reader suggestion. That's well, kudos. Cause every time you say it, I smile. So yes. they've done a here in the U S they've done a wonderful cover for it. And so, yeah. That's yeah, it. it so, must be quite uh, nice, though, to deviate. Oh, is, oh, it's very refreshing. And of course, Mrs. Plansky said it was very nice to get back into the third person. Yeah. There's a real strict discipline that I was under, you know, that I am under in the Chet and Bernie novels. It kind of it freed me up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed, I mean, the writing went some, I, I like, I love, well, I need to write. Okay. It's just, uh, I've yeah. written 45 or six novels. It's obviously something's going on here. It's <laughs> probably. It's yeah. Probably, I think at this point. Yeah. yeah. That it's probably inexcusable in a way, but um, <laughs> so, but it, but it doesn't get any easier. The work is still hard, but some books flow quicker than others. Right. And the wind is at your back. And that was the case with Mrs. Black. And in terms of what happens next, obviously you're working on Chet and Bernie, but will we see more of Mrs. Plansky or is she kind of a one and done lady? We're, the publishers and I are going back and forth on that because I have mm. a couple other ideas that are not Chet and Bernie and not Mrs. Plansky that I also mm. want to do. Um, and I, you know, I want to, I've written, there have been a number of years where I've written two books a year, but I, I'm more in the mood to do one book a year now. Right. And um, and so, you know, we have to figure that out. But there could be more Mrs. Plansky, but I can't You're saying say two that. books a year leaves me in awe. As you said, I'm like, two books a year? Like, <laughs> Well, no, and I'm not, I'm not fast, but I'm steady. So I like to work okay. every day. And I, I try to do a thousand words a day. I hardly ever do, but at least I do something. And yeah. so the next day when I come there, I'm not where I was two days before. I'm I've advanced the story. Yeah. So advancing, so I, I try to advance the story in two ways. One, by doing more every day, but two, every time any scene, anything like that, is moving things along. So right. if I think in my mind of a lovely piece of description, say a white dove in a purple sunset on his on its wing or something like that. But if it isn't advancing the plot, that dove is dead. Okay. <laughs> Not in the story. Kill your doves is the yeah. lesson here. Kill your doves. Yeah. Kill your doves. And before yeah. we go and dive into your novel evening, I also say that I saw you have quite a famous fan as well who has, you know, endorsed some of your writing, has very favorable things to say. I'm a big fan. So how does Stephen King pick up Chet and Bernie and Mrs. Plansky? <laughs> Well, I've known him for a long time um, and he likes my work and he wants to see everything wow. I do. So um, it's funny. I, well, I, 
So I wrote a book um, back in the 90s called The Fan. It was a, um, a crime fiction novel that took place in the world of professional baseball. It was made into a movie. Um, Robert De Niro played The Fan. Wow. And, but okay, but prior to the movie, um, just after the book came out, so we live, I live in the, Cape Cod is near Boston and uh, Stephen King lives part-time in Maine. He's from Maine as everybody mm -hmm. knows. So, um, but he's a big Red Sox fan, which is the baseball team in Boston. Right, okay. So one morning I went to the gym and um, shortly after the fan book had come out and one of my friends at the gym said, hey, were you, uh, were, you, were you watching the Red Sox last night on TV? And I said, no. And, and um, he said, well, they had a rain delay, you know, when it rains and they can't play. Mm -hmm. And so in the booth, the broadcast booth, they had Stephen King. And because he goes to a lot of the games or he, right. he did it one time. And uh, they asked him what's his favorite book he ever read about baseball. And he said it was The Fan by Peter Abrahams that he had just read. Wow. And I had not met him, but that led to us becoming friends. That's very, that's just, that whole story was very cool <laughs> from start yeah. to finish. You're yeah. like Robert De Niro and Buster Red Sox. I'm like, wow. <laughs> That's a very cool story. Thank and, you. you know, I just think, I think that's a fantastic, I don't want to call it a meet cute. What's the word for meeting between friends? It's fortuitous. Well, fortunate. It was a fortunate, yes, it was a chance meeting. Totally chance. Totally. I mean, I didn't, no, if, you know, I, uh, if I hadn't heard that, and at that point, so I told my editor um, the story. Yeah. Just I told you and the editor got in touch with his editor, blah, blah, blah. That's, you know, that type very of cool. And yet we here in the UK, baseball isn't really a thing. We no, don't really, we don't really have baseball, but I think it's very, I think sports as a whole, football is probably our equivalent here. Soccer is probably our equivalent, but it can, sports can bring people together. Oh, for sure. Now, you know, you have to put to one side, the brawling in the stands, but <laughs> Yeah, that happens here. We do have that. <laughs> yeah, we have two more. You know, I think there's more of that now than there used to be here. I, I don't, I think people, well, you know, people just, as you may or may not have noticed, people are on edge these days a lot. And I think it just comes out. Pe people's triggers are, are have gotten very quick. Yeah, and I think also sports is so high intensity emotion as well, isn't it? That everything's at the surface. So yeah. it's going to erupt. Yeah. It's going to erupt. We, we've but been baseball there. Has, one of the good things about baseball is the game itself, um, although it can be, you know, there's danger in it. I mean, because every, you know, I played when I was a kid, you, you know, the ball is hard and it's moving fast yep. and you can get hit with it. But it's not a violent game other than that. And it's a very cerebral game. So I think it tends to attract fans who appreciate that. Yeah. The interesting thing here is I think compared to soccer, rugby, I find the the fans of rugby, which is quite an aggressive sport because we basically have American football, but no padding. So we just send guys in to attack each other for a ball in shorts so I know rugby. I played, yeah. there's some rugby here in college. Yeah. I, played, I played in college. So yeah. I know. But those fans are the calmer ones compared to yeah, soccer. Rugby fans yeah. are quite sedate. 
it's yeah, football right. does something to people. So yeah, I can mm-hmm. imagine for you guys. I mean, I also I used to live in Canada and I've seen hockey. Oh, hockey! Yes, well, fighting is encouraged, right? Yeah. Yeah, if you don't have a fight at a hockey game, were you even there? Yeah. What was the point? Right, Why did you right. go? You, you want your money back. Yeah. Now, look, you're obviously a man of many genres, many interests. So no pressure, but I have quite high hopes for your novel evening. I think you're going to bring something different. I don't think so. (laughs) Okay, I'll drop those expectations right down again. All right. So we always start with where are we going to go for your evening? Okay, well, you know, I would like to go to Kauai which is one of the Hawaiian islands. I've been there before only once. And it is the most beautiful place I've ever been. It's a paradise. Um, And on the Northern shore is Hanalei Bay with the surfers. And then there's all this incredible hiking, some of it quite dangerous on the island. It's a gorgeous mountainous island with, you know, every, all the sort of, fruit and vegetables are unbelievable unbelievably tasty the fish in the sea are incredible the waters around it are amazing I just love it there so that's where that's where I would like to go well I've never I've never been to Hawaii I've only ever seen it on television so I would be very happy to gate crash this novel evening straight out of the it sounds untouched it sounds just beautiful certainly the north yes it's it's not a big tourist island yeah um there's some but it's not you know it's not full of big hotels or anything like that or high rises it doesn't have that and would we be eating would we sat on the beach what would you ideally like us to be doing well well, I think you know we could have like a cookout on the beach Nice. I've done here you know I live a, a short walk from the beach here and we often have cookouts so I I could bring my little gas grill or we could just light a wood a, a, you know a driftwood fire oh okay yes. get some and fish cut up some tuna steaks yeah. because the tuna there is you know remarkable some shrimp other things like that and then a lot of the island you know the the pineapples and and all that which are okay yeah. I, this sounds good okay you've impressed That's me already so yeah. Let's see who you're bringing. So who are we going to start with? The only guest I have in mind is Shakespeare. Um, Okay. I'm trying to picture Shakespeare in Hawaii. (laughs) Well, okay, but he did write The Tempest that takes place on this island. So I would want to show him, you know, what a real, like, where he'd never been to a tropical island, obviously. Um, This is one. So that, that one I'd like to show him. That's interesting. And also the fact he was able to write this island with, I mean, I've been to where Shakespeare was born, where he grew up. I've seen the house he lived in. Very small. And for this man from a very small town, Stratford is, I don't know if you've ever been, but Stratford is, it's fairly small. It's it's a nice town, but it's, you know, yes, he traveled to London, but to come up with these fantastical, you know, this island from a man who was a school teacher is incredible. Well, but you see, that's the imagination at work. The imagination can get things right, even if you haven't seen it. And he, okay, of all the writers that ever been, probably his imagination is the number one. Um, and I'm a writer. I would like to meet the the best. That's why. And I'm you here. can ask him about the, you know, the theories that his work wasn't his own. You might be able to, over some tuna steaks, you might be able to quiz him on, on those theories. 
Well, I, okay, I would, okay, so the other thing, well, there'd be a few, okay, I'm also, I'm interested in Chaucer a lot too. Okay, but yeah. I but I couldn't talk to him because his English, the, what he spoke is in, you know, is, I mean, you can pick out a little bit of it, but you have to learn that language. Whereas incredibly, okay, so what, how long went by between Chaucer and English, uh, Chaucer and Shakespeare, less than 200 years. Yeah. But in that period, the language changed and then it stopped changing. Mm. I mean, you, if you went back to Shakespeare's time and started wandering around the streets, you know, you could make yourself completely yeah, understand. Yeah, you, you could converse, if you, yeah. If you went to Chaucer's time, you couldn't. Yeah. It would be Absolutely. like going to, you know, Afghanistan or somewhere like that. Yeah. Well, I've look, never even thought that way. That's so interesting to me. I never thought, oh my gosh, yeah, you know, the way they spoke and how quickly language develops. Yes, and but it does. But then for some reason, we stabilized in the 1600s and so you could go back and talk to abraham lincoln or you know billy the kid i can have a have conversation a, i suppose i introducing billy the kid to shakespeare <laughs> um, yeah so and what i one thing i would like to do with him when we're there um you know, i don't want to you know just sort of pick his brain or anything like mm. that and that wouldn't be any fun for him i you know i'd like him to have some fun and i think my guess is he's a fun-loving guy, but I would bring to the beach a little video player and I would play uh, Laurence Olivier's Hamlet that was okay. the movie done in 1948. Because, of course, he would never have seen, like, a yeah. movie. But it's in his ballpark, that type of thing, because it's a drama. Mm -hmm. And just to see what he would would think of that you think yeah i would love to see what he thinks of the baz lerman's romeo and juliet <laughs> yes there's that or even like west side story like turned into a musical yeah. theater you know he okay there was nobody better at theater to, than him now there's no theater on Kauai, but you know if you were on in new york you could go to you know on broadway and he could wow that it's things like that imagine these people who now are you know, without also almost legendary at this point, aren't they? Then imagine them now, you know, Jane Austen, imagine her watching back these adapt many adaptations of her work that have been done in film. And, you know, we've had Bollywood versions. The yeah. idea of being able to show these people, here's how your work has remained. This is the legacy of your work. Yes. And I'm sure that, that I'm sure that would be gratifying. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't getting reception. What? Yeah. Hang on one second. I'm just going to. You're fine. Don't worry. I've been here. Don't worry. Being, I had, when we started to have, um, that reception difficulty. A little moment. <laughs> I I left the office and went into my house. Oh, you've been toughed out now. <laughs> yes. How are we okay now? We're fine. We we're almost towards the end, so don't worry. We'll get this done. Um. Yeah, so, in any case, that's what I would. 
You've got you've got an intimate cookout with Shakespeare. You're gonna watch yes. back some of his work in modern form. I like this. No one's done anything like this before. Okay, but um, yeah. So that's what I would. So I think um, my guess is people, you know, writers from the past who could see these adaptations. There'd be different reactions. I mean, they they might be bemused. They might be bewildered. That's why I picked um, that particular yeah. performance of Hamlet because it's spare and stark, and the one that of the ones I've seen, it's, I think, comes closest to the play. Yeah, and I usually ask here. I mean, this is a very intimate evening anyway. It's you and Shakespeare, but I usually ask if there's anyone that you wouldn't want to show up. Anyone negative, one. really. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but no particular uh, no particular writer. I mean, you could easily say like the Marquis de Sade or someone like that, but there's no... Yeah. I'm not sure he strikes the right tone for a Hawaii I, cookout. I like the one-on-one. I, I like the one-on-one. If you allow me to introduce lyricists... Oh, absolutely. Um, then uh, Paul McCartney would be okay. someone I would really like to, I think um, one of the reasons is, I mean, some musicians just in my limited experience are very poor at verbalizing what it is they do and putting it in any kind of context. In other words, in, uh, they're incapable of being interesting talking about what they do. They're fascinating when they're doing it. But yeah. he, he's different. Um, he's uh, sees what's going on and can put it into words. And and even though at the very same time he's just such a pure musician, if you saw the documentary, you know about the Let It Be. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that. I haven't seen it, but I've oh. heard incredible I things. Mean, but when you see him in action. inside the process it's just yeah it's amazing oh amazing that would be so it's a very all english little picnic on the beach right i can i'll take that (laughs) i think it's it's an interesting mix you've got and i i would like to see how shakespeare and mccartney would engage well first of all i mean shakespeare obviously had a high interest in music yeah there's lots of music in his plays and lyrics and um and McCartney's gonna know who Shakespeare is so for sure he will and <laughs> yeah so I think it would be good I would just keep my mouth shut basically yeah do you know what? I I love this we've not actually just had a kind of a one or two guest novel evening before so I am I'm impressed because you know it's spare but I get what you're trying to do with this and I like that thank you thank you I enjoy this. And look, before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your afternoon, because I can see the sun streaming through the windows, are you reading anything at the moment? Yes, I am, but it's, I mean, it's sort of depressing. I'm reading a book <laughs> um, called, uh, the also British, everything I'm talking about today, this is so uh, on point. Um, this book is called The Fall of Berlin, 1945, by Anthony Beaver. He's a I think he's a very well-known English historian. I don't know a whole lot about him, but he's a very good writer. Uh, The book is 
amazing and depressing at the same time. But I think in these current times, it's an even more powerful read. Yeah, really poignant. Absolutely. And yeah, and I I love nonfiction. It's not a time period I've read much about, but I do think, as you say, it's important to be reading, reading about this. Yeah, I think so. And anyway, but especially because it's, I mean, first of all, it's fascinating. Secondly, it's, uh, you know, it's high, it's so it's high drama. Third, I mean, it's very possible that World War II is the biggest single event that's ever happened in human history. Churchill certainly thought so. And, um, and I want to inform myself, you know, more about it. Definitely. Look, this has been such a joy. Thank you so much. So Mrs. Plansky's Revenge is out. People can buy it. They can read all about her. She sounds so much fun. I cannot recommend enough. We need more Mrs. Plansky in our lives. And thank you so, so much for joining me. This has been so much fun. Thanks. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Novel Evening. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Please remember to go over and rate, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and check us out on Instagram at A Novel Evening Podcast and over on TikTok under the same name and we'll see you next week. Bye bye.